Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall, along with Bruce Weiner, and today we are talking with you about interest, interest rates more specifically, and what the impacts of interest rates are on bonds, which are a big part of the growth inside of a whole life insurance policy. So if you've ever had the question on your mind, in a rising interest rate environment, then I'm probably going to have increasing dividends, and that's good. In a falling interest rate environment, will I have lower dividends paid out in my policy? And and how does this long-term low interest rate environment play out in whole life insurance? So I will give you a quick disclaimer at the front. Um, Maybe it's not a disclaimer. I'm going to spoil the the whole story. So if you don't want to listen to the whole show, you don't need to. Whole life insurance has been around for a very long time in a lot of different environments. And it still is strong and still is a powerful way to store your cash in a way that is safe, liquid, protected, growing for you. We're really going to uncover kind of the nuance behind that today and figure out exactly how that low dividend, low interest rate environment, I'm sorry, plays out in whole life insurance. Bruce, thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation today. And I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah. um, You know, without trying to um, blow our own horn, I mean, uh, this is this is a topic that I think a lot of insurance people do not truly understand the mechanics because they don't, for a variety of reasons, they haven't taken the time to understand it or they haven't taken the time to um, to actually talk to the chief investment officers of these different insurance companies. Uh, I've been fortunate over my career that uh, a couple of these chief investment officers have spent the majority of not a majority, uh, a lot of their time explaining that, including, I don't know when this is going to be uh, actually uh, broadcast, but tonight I'm meeting with one of the chief investment officers for dinner uh, who actually came to St. Louis to discuss different topics. So I feel very fortunate that we can uh, delve into these types of top- topics very closely for our clients and uh, for our listeners so that they can understand the pros and cons of uh, of uh, both a lo- uh, rising and a lowering interest rate environment. And Bruce, I think it was really interesting um, that you just mentioned chief investment officer. Mm-hmm. Can you just share briefly, why does an insurance company have a chief investment officer? Okay. So, you know, a, a, an insurance company would bring in premiums. And they can be brought in on a yearly, a quarterly, a semi-annual, or a monthly basis. And by the way, you can change the mode of premium. That comes up in a lot of client meetings. People say, well, I don't know if I can make this yearly premium all the time. I have this money stored right now in my savings account, but I've actually, I've actually built that up over years. And we say, well, that's okay. We can actually do a couple of annual pay- payments, and then we can switch to quarterly, or we can switch to uh, semi-annual or we switch, switch the monthly. And oh, and by the way, 
you sell a rental property like I did last year, um, I can take that big chunk of money and I can just make uh, where I was making a monthly. I can just turn around and do go the opposite direction. I can make a big um, annual payment with it. So it's very, very flexible. So when that money comes in, the insurance companies don't just keep it in a savings account and, and wait for it to be uh, asked for either back at a, as a death benefit or ask for it in a, a contractual loan. They actually put that money to work for them. However, they actually spend, and actually I did some research on this, um, they only have a very little money that is actually in a securities-related um, in common stock. Most companies that I uh, researched, the, the major ones that you know of, have anywhere between uh, 0.58% is the lowest, and the highest has 2.49% of their portfolio in common stock. A uh, majority of them have it in bonds. Now, these bonds can be uh, corporate bonds or treasury bonds. And I'll just give you a little uh, a range here. They'll have it anywhere between 60.2% on the low. And that company actually has $500 billion worth of assets uh, to a high of 75.5%. Then they have preferred stock, which works a lot like, I know the regulators wouldn't like me saying this, so I'm going to have a disclaimer here. It is not a bond, but it works a lot like a bond in, in the fact that it produces interest and you get you get paid before anybody in the common stock get, gets paid. So any liquidation event that might happen because something happens to the stock, the preferred stockholders get paid first before the common stockholders first. So their liability is, is very, very low. And then and that, that it runs anywhere between um, a quarter of a percent to 1%. So now when we look at, when we look at the safety, we're running anywhere between 70 and, and 79%. Now the next biggest is actual mortgage type um, investments. And these mortgage type investments can be packaged mortgage that come from um, taking mortgages from Freddie, uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and packaging them together. And that in a portfolio is running anywhere between uh, zero for one company all the way up to 16.3%. Um, and um, you know, some people might consider that to be uh, risky, but they actually, um, from the chief investment officers that I've talked to, talked to, they've they've actually tried to keep the um, the equity to value ratio any between sixty five to seventy five percent. In other words, the mortgage is, is um, has a lot of equity built into it, so that if the um, if if the if they fail. Um, then they actually can sell the properties and recoup their money. And then they also have some in real estate, very small percentage, uh, anywhere between uh, uh, a third of a percent to 1%. Contract loans, this comes up a lot of times. So these are loans that are actually, and this is, this is important for our listeners to understand. 
Contract loans are the loans, policy loans that policyholders are taking. And those run anywhere between uh, somewhere around two, almost 3% to as high as 7.24%. And those are actually, I actually talked to one chief investment officer and I said, Hey, uh, do you guys worry about having too many loans out there? And he said, well, no, not this low interest rate environment because contractually, um, most loans are right about a fixed rate of 5%. He says, we can't get that kind of return on a treasury bond right now. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very happy to do uh, portfolio loans. They, the only thing they have to worry about um, in that is, is too much as far as the regulations go to make sure that they have enough money in reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, cash in short term, they, they just, they'll just keep anywhere between 1.34 and uh, 3% in cash. And the reason they keep that in cash is to easily pay off death benefits and um, to actually shift cash to a, <clears throat> to a up and coming um, uh, either an interest rate bearing account or some kind of other investment that they they would like to shift some cash into. So you can see where um, they're very conservative. And so mm-hmm. in a conservative uh, a conservative interest rate environment, as an example, um, in 2002, so almost 20 years ago, gross bond yields were almost 7%. And, a, and today in the industry, gross bond, and this is for the industry, and today gross bond yields are about 4.5%. Now, once again, people would say, well, that's only a 2, 2.4% drop, but that's closer, uh, losing 2.4% on 6.9% is closer to about a 30% drop. So this is the challenge that the industry has taken on with these low interest rate environments. Yeah, Bruce, I think what's really interesting is that the insurance companies are managing, I mean, you said one company here to the tune of 50 billion of assets, and that's just what was in their corporate five, or five, treasury five, bonds. 500 billion of assets. I'm sorry, what did I just say? 50 billion. I wrote 500 billion and I meant to say 500 billion. So um, yeah, what's really interesting here is that's just what's the 60% of their assets that it was specifically in um, corporate or treasury bonds. That's a lot of capital that they're deploying and figuring out how to invest strategically, but very conservatively. And so two things that I hear loud and clear through what you're just, what you're sharing is there's a lot of capital that needs to be managed, which is why there's a chief investment officer at life insurance companies, because they're managing this capital for the purpose of being as productive and profitable as possible and as safe as possible so that they can pay dividends and all of their claims. And I'm also hearing not only is there the need for this management, but they're very, very conservative. And I love those numbers. The 60, I think, to the on the high side for the corporate and treasury bonds was about 75.5% if I um, wrote my notes correctly mm-hmm. from what you shared. So there's a lot of responsibility that a life insurance company has to be able to pay death claims 
if they say they're going to pay death claims, they need to be able to do that and they need to be able to manage capital effectively. So I think that is even a, a giant perspective shift. I think sometimes there can be this misperception that I pay premiums into a life insurance company and then they're going to give me back my premium in the form of a dividend and nothing is really going on in terms of their capital management. And not only is there a chief officer in charge of the capital management at the life insurance company, there's an entire team and there's an entire strategy and structure, so much going on that normally as policy holders, we are not thinking about their capital management. So right. it's a big right. deal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I attend these conventions all the time. I listen to this, the chief investment officers. I listen to the presidents of the company. And one of them uh, that we actually do a lot of business with is, is one of the reasons I continue to uh, offer this to our clients is the president of the company who has a history of being in, in this organization and seeing, and, and by the way, his family was in this organization beforehand, a big history. So he's gotten this past from generational thinking down. The, the top insurance companies, uh, the top 10 insurance companies have approximately 7% more money in reserve than they have promised. Um, and this particular company has double that amount in reserve. So they have 14% more. And the, of that 14%, a large amount, a larger amount was also just being held in cash instead of actually being invested. And many of the insurance producers was asking, was asking him, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you invest that? And his, his answer to that was, if you understand bonds. So let's now I'm going to stop there and I'm going to explain bonds to people. <clears throat> okay. So bonds have an inverse relationship to interest and their value. So as if you buy, let's just say a 10-year treasury, and I'm making these numbers up right now, but if you buy a 10-year treasury bond at what they call par value or $1,000, then whatever that interest rate is at 1.5%, that bond is now worth $1,000. If interest rates go up, you're holding that bond for a period of 10 years. So you're going to get one and a half percent on that 10 year bond every year for 10 years on that $1,000. If interest rates go up, now your bond inversely, the value of it goes down. Now, why is that? Well, if, if I'm, if I buy a 10 year treasury um, bond of $1,000 and it's one and a half percent and the next month, somebody, the 10-year the treasury goes to 1.75%, so the interest rate's higher, why would anybody offer you $1,000 for your bond paying 1.5% when they could go to the open market and simply buy one at 1.75%? Wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So what you, what you could do, the only, your personal bond value goes down. Now, as long as you don't sell it and and you get you'll get the thousand dollars back at ten years. But what you could do is you could sell it at a discount, say nine hundred and ninety dollars, and then go buy the one point seven five at one thousand. Of course, you'd have to add another ten dollars, so you lost ten dollars of value. The inverse is also correct. 
And this is what happened from the early 80s all the way to 2007 or so. As interest rates went down, now think about this. You have a 10-year treasury. And once again, I'm making this number up, so don't anybody call me on it. You have sometime in the 80s, you have a 10-year treasury that is paying 6%. The next month, the 10-year treasury comes out at 5%. So now a person says, well, I'd rather have the 6% interest. So you offer that person maybe $1,100 for his 1,000 or he or she's $1,000 bond. So now you were making 6%, but now all of a sudden somebody offered you 10% for that. So your return on that $1,000 was actually 10% instead of 6%. Now you're going to have to go deploy that money somewhere else, but insurance companies were doing that. I mean, everybody was doing that. So insurance company would say, Hey, I have this bond. And would anybody like this greater bond? And they would sell it at a, at a, and they were at a premium and they were making a lot of money in that situation. So let's just pause for a second. So you're saying in the environment, the interest rates go down current bonds are at a premium? No. If current interest rates... I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. I thought you were going back to the first question. If current interest rates go down, the bond you are holding actually goes up in value. So you could sell it at a premium. And that makes sense, right? Why would a person... Wouldn't a person rather maybe pay you an extra amount and get that higher interest rate? Now, there is a formula, formula that you can that you can uh, figure out. We don't have time in the, in the show to go over all this to see whether it makes sense or if it just breaks even. Um, but then you might want you might want to just keep it then if it just breaks even. So yes, that is correct. Interest rates go down, bond values go up. So inverse is true. So now that we've kind of unpacked what happens specifically with bonds. Now I'm in a situation where I know the life insurance company is investing in bonds. Can you go ahead and unpack what that looks like for the insurance company when bonds go down or when they go up based on interest rates? Okay. So the chief investment officer is in charge of uh, taking all the revenue that comes in. He's not there. He or she is not in charge of the expenses. That's the president of the company, keep holding expenses. And so then what they do is they figure out all the expenses, uh, I'm sorry, all the, the gains in the investment minus all the expenses, that's a profit. That profit, how they do it is proprietary. So nobody knows exactly what it is. Then they take that profit and they declare a dividend. And, and so obviously the higher the, higher the profit, the more the dividend. Well, the worst thing that can happen is what has happened in the last 10 years is interest rates not only go down, but they stay flat. So they're, they're only getting the yields on the bonds. They're, they can't sell the old ones that were higher because they've sold a lot of that portfolio already. And they can't buy new bonds at a greater rate. So the hardest thing on insurance companies is when interest rates stay 
the same for a long period of time. And that's what's basically happened over the last 10 years or so. And so you're, you're seeing interest, you're seeing dividends then because it's about how much you can make on a bond portfolio. Actually, the pressure of the dividends going down because responsible insurance companies have said, well, we're going to have to lower the dividends. Mm-hmm. And the ones that responded more quickly, I believe, from talking to these chief investment officers, are in better shape going forward. Doesn't mean they're going to be in, uh, be in bad financial shape where they're going to fail, but they're going to be in better shape to actually have dividends rise in the future. So if you see a, if you see a, uh, insurance company over the last 10 years that basically held their dividends flat, you have to ask yourself, ask yourself, ask yourself at what cost? Because they've been robbing Peter to pay Paul to actually pay those dividends thinking, well, next year it'll get better. Next year it'll get better. Next year it'll get better. If you see the, you see the insurance companies that said, Oh no, we're, we're responsible for our, um, our clients' money. So we're going to bring these dividends down and then they flattened out. I think that's a more responsible way of doing it. And then you look at the companies that have done that. There are a couple of companies now that the last couple of years have actually kicked their dividends up when everybody else is kicking them lower. And there's, there's people out on the street that believe that the ones that held their dividends are going to have to continue to tick them down lower into the future, which makes logical sense if you understand what I just said, because they've been robbing Peter to pay Paul over all this time period. Now, now that we've just talked about that, now let's talk about a rising interest rate environment, because you might be saying, well, Bruce, you just said as interest rates go up, bonds will be worth less. So the insurance company is not going to make as much money. Well, that's true if they have to sell the bonds. But the but unlike you and me, who might have to sell the bond for income or to pay off something or so on, insurance companies have premium coming in every month. So now as interest rates rise, they're going to be buying bonds at a new greater interest rate, and they don't have to sell the old bonds. Now, they will if it makes sense, but they don't have to sell the old bonds at a discount to buy the new bonds. Where you and me and the guy down the street or some of our other clients or wealth clients, they might say, well, I want the higher interest rate, so I'm going to sell this bond at a loss to get a higher interest rate. Insurance companies don't have to do that. So because they have a longer view than we do, because their view is in perpetuity, where our view is kind of a lifetime or, or maybe a couple generations, they can actually benefit if they've taken care of their money by ratcheting down the dividends as interest rates go up, then you'll see an increase in dividends in the near future as interest rates go up. So. Let me just put my lens over this because I think this is a fascinating topic. One thing is that the insurance company has the ability to buy in bulk. They have a lot more capital that they're deploying than we have. And because of that, they don't have to sell an old bond 
in order to buy the new bond. Right. So, and this is definitely something that you just shared, but I think that just gives a different perspective that because they have so much capital and so much volume that they're working with, they have access to different strategies than you or I would as a bond investor. The other right. thing is that, and, and oh, that, go ahead. You know, let me just uh, piggyback on it. Yes, I should have brought that up. Having literally hundreds of millions of dollars to go to a corporate situation and say, yeah, we'll lend you $200 million, um, but we want to get five and a half percent of this corporate bond where an individual says, I got $1,000, I'd like to buy that corporate bond for five and a half percent. The corporate person you know, selling it or the broker selling it said, well, uh, no, we're only going to give you 4.75 because we're just going to keep looking you know, we're just going to keep looking out in the open market for our best deal. Mm. Well, having somebody lay $200 million or $400 million on your lap for this corporate bond uh, at a certain rate to get going with your project um, holds a lot of weight. So that was a very good point that you just made is the more money you have, the more yield you can get because people are willing to take, give you more because you're giving them more. That's fascinating in and of itself. So I think the way that you then as a life insurance owner are able to access the opportunity to get the advantage when bonds go up or when interest rates go up or when they go down, either direction is by plugging in to the bigger capital source that you can't do on your own, but that you can get access to by owning a life insurance policy. Correct. Absolutely. And I, I often make that point is that you're getting the, it's, it's, once again, this is a disclaimer. I'm not saying it's like it's, it is this, but it's like this, like hedge funds actually uh, pull together a lot of billionaires' money so that they can get access to some deals that they, you wouldn't be able, they wouldn't be able to get access to by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they get higher yield yields. So we, what we call it in the industry is you're getting institutional type deals that you could not get as an individual. That's a, that's a great point. So that I think is powerful in and of itself. And then I heard another thing beneath what you were talking about with the insurance companies, this word, you said being responsible and recognizing the landscape and lowering dividends, I was seeing that as being responsive. If the insurance company is very responsive to the current environment, meaning that they recognize their challenges and they say, we're willing to pull down our dividend rate today, which might look really bad to a new life insurance purchaser. I mean, if you're looking from the outside and you just are comparing this company has a higher dividend rate versus this company, and if you're using that as the sole lens to make your decision, you could say, well, the higher dividend company is the stronger company and I should just go with them because that dividend on your illustration is projected forward into the future. And you think, well, I'm going to have more cash value or I'm going to have a higher death benefit if I structure this properly. And 
And it looks perhaps like on the surface, the highest dividend rate is going to outperform a lower dividend rate. But what we often don't look at is the insurance company's responsiveness to the environment. If they're more responsive, it's possible that they were willing to give up some of that market share of new policies because people say, well, I'm not wanting a lower dividend. I want the higher dividend. I'm going to pass on this lower dividend company today. They're willing to give up a little bit of that market share in order to say, I want to protect the insurance company saying, I want to protect my solvency, my stability for when the environment changes. And so I think that responsiveness is something that we can look at and recognize that it's not. I I heard this beautiful analogy the other day in a completely different environment, but they were talking about something that was craftsman created which requires a lot of nuance and a lot of um, multifaceted thinking about developing a skill set. If you have something craftsman created, it's it's created with this multifaceted view that required a lot that went into it. It's very complex. You could just throw something out that was very um, one-dimensional or maybe even two-dimensional, but that was a quick answer and it just seemed to solve all the problems and it was something maybe more mass-produced and that might be easier, but it's not the same depth that you get when something is craftsman-created. And I'm not even sure I'm articulating it very well, but what I love about that is that if we recognize the life insurance policy and the life insurance company has a lot more happening than just a dividend rate, it could be really easy to say, oh, just a dividend rate, that's the only thing that I'm focused on today. And that almost would be like looking at something from a mass-produced lens or one-sided or one-dimensional, whereas it's really important to recognize that they're being a craftsman at creating not only a policy that's designed well for you today, but also a company that's going to be able to pay out to you in the future and be there for the next 100, 200, 300, 500 years. And that takes a lot of nuance and complexity. So we want to see the quick, simple answer on the outside, but really there's this tremendous depth that's happening under the surface. It's not the first time I've said this on the show, but there's not a whole lot of difference between one insurance company and another. There's no such thing as a deal in insurance companies. And as you go through the numbers, they're all, and a lot of it's because they're highly regulated uh, by the states. Um, If you go through the numbers, they're they're all investing in the same treasury bonds, the same corporate bonds. They, they can only cut expenses so far. Um, so, and they're, and they're declaring a gross dividend, which doesn't mean how your cash value is going to actually grow. Um, because you cannot just divide the dividend into your premium because that dividend declaration declared, declared dividend is for the entire, uh, policy group, not just for you. And this is this is a really bad thing that a lot of people think. Like a a 30-year-old's not going, even if they declare us a 5.5% dividend, a 30-year-old's not going to 
get a 5.5% dividend. Um, and that's because the it's the net present value of a, your cash, cash value is a net present value of a future death benefit. That's all that, that's all it's doing. In, in other words, how much dividend will I have to pay? How much interest do, do I have to pay to get this cash value to equal my death benefit at age 121? So what is that value today? Well, that value today can be lower on a 30-year-old than it can be a 65-year-old because of the time value of money. A 30-year-old has a lot longer for it to grow and compound than mm -hmm. a 65-year-old. So all this is figured into the calculation. So anybody that's, that looks at this, we have clients all the time, well, where's my guaranteed 4%? Well, your guaranteed 4% is, is, a, um, is a gross number. Then they take the expenses out of it. Then they apply it to the cash value after they take all the fees out of it. They do the same thing with the dividend. Guaranteed cash uh, 4% plus the dividend e or plus the dividend is equal to the declared dividend. So the declared dividend includes the 4%. And by the way, I don't know, once again, I don't know when we're going to air this, but there are new products coming out by every insurance company mm -hmm. this month or next. And it, and we do believe that they're going to lower the guaranteed rates um, to a certain percentage because of these low interest rate environments. I'm talking about every insurance company. And that doesn't mean the dividends are going to go down mm -hmm. because that just means a higher portion of the dividend will be non-guaranteed from the non-guaranteed side. Which that's so, really important to hear. Just because a guaranteed rate goes down, there's also the non-guaranteed dividend portion. And if your total growth is this bucket of say 3%, I'm just making up a number, right. and the dividend or the guaranteed portion goes from 2% to 1%, well, your dividend might go from 1% to 2% and still make up the same growth. Correct. And we don't know, but in a rising interest rate environment, we believe that they will be able to maintain that you know the dividend that they will have today and actually grow them down the road because once again we have the compounding effect of that situation remember if if a dividend goes from five percent to six percent that's not a one percent growth that's a twenty percent growth mm -hmm. okay because one percent of five is twenty percent this is another thing that people don't understand <laughs> and so if the dividend uh, gross dividend now, we don't know how they came to it because it's proprietary, but we do know that um, there's more of a room to grow from 5% to 6% than there is from 6% to 7% because that 1% growth is a smaller one divided by six, which is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, one for uh, 13% instead of 20%. So you have to look at all these things. Now, I'm not saying you get you get caught up on this as far as making a decision, but you should be aware of, of how the product works. And even though they can't, they don't tell you because it's proprietary, you can use your, your intellect and your logic to actually extrapolate information like this. So I think we've covered a lot of ground and Bruce, I'm just always super thankful for the level of detail and knowledge that you have, not just from 
research and from experience, but from the conversations that you have with clients and also with the officers at the insurance company and just this wide breadth and depth of knowledge about how life insurance works. And so thank you so much for continually being willing to share that and help people to not only make decisions based on what sounds good today, but what actually makes the best sense for them. And I think if you're listening to this today, it's really important that you're not just making decisions based on one facet or one piece of anything, especially life insurance. So yeah, I'd like to meet Rachel. I know you're closing, but I'd like to say this with our good friend, James Nethery. We've, we've gone over a lot of details today, but as James has taught me for years, if you understand the concepts of this, the details that we talked about don't matter. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand the concepts we talked about today, then the details don't matter. So the details never matter if you True. understand the concepts. True. And the big picture concept, just to zoom way out from that, is that so far, life insurance, specially designed whole life insurance with a mutual company that's a dividend paying policy has for years and years and years and decades and centuries been a place to store cash that we've lost sight of in approximately the last 40 years since the 401k was invented, but that people are coming back to this realization that I want to have cash that I can control, that I can access and use when I want to deploy capital in any investment or purchasing a business or expanding or having a marketing effort whenever you want to access cash on your terms and not have to pay tax to do that. So it's a tax advantage. It grows in the way of you experience it tax-free. It's technically tax-deferred growth, but you experience it tax-free because you can pay tax before you put the cash in and then you never pay tax again on that growth as long as you use it properly. And that alone is powerful, but then you have the ability to access and use this capital and it's growing at a rate that's faster than we see in any other environment on a conservative basis. I'm not going to say completely guaranteed, but I will say there are guaranteed cash values even before you consider dividends that are powerful and profound and will do so much worth and so much good in your financial life if you have that solid foundation. That's why right. we believe in life insurance. And in addition to that, it's not an oh, by the way, in addition, you are building a death benefit that can provide a legacy for generations to come. And that's on top of everything else that a life insurance policy can do for you. So in closing today, uh, we do need to wrap at this point. If you are interested in exploring these concepts further, you can do one of two things. You can ask a question in a public format, which means posting your question wherever you find this video. If you are on um, Apple Podcasts after the fact, you can uh, go ahead and email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. If you're watching live or later, you can post your question on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think that's majority of all the places that we're uh, publishing right now. Um, We also have the blog over at themoneyadvantage.com. You can always ask a question directly there as well. We love your questions. And we've even done episodes specifically that are targeted just in asking a whole wide range of questions that we've had from listeners in our audience. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for continuing to dive in and dig into these concepts. It is 
truly transformational when you seek out real answers to your real questions instead of just accepting the status quo. Ask real questions, get real answers. Also, I said there's two ways to connect with us. I forgot to tell you the other one. You can also book an appointment with our advisor team. Now, Bruce is part of the advisor team. We also have a whole team of advisors that meet with clients to help you figure out how do I structure a financial life, not just life insurance. How do I structure my financial life in a way that is going to maximize everything that I'm doing and optimize my financial plan? How am I going to reach my goals faster and safer and quicker? So we want to help you do that. And you can book a call at themoneyadvantage.com. Thank you so much. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.